Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 17, Home Soil. I would say this episode is a is a weird episode mm. of uh, of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and in the first season, that in and of itself is pretty remarkable. Um, but to help us out, someone who has uh, broad television cinematic experience, uh, both to the great and the weird, so he's he's perfect for this discussion of a quasi weird episode. Uh, it's our good friend Jacob. Jacob, thanks for coming back to the Hi Fi Sci Fi Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really Glad to talk about this uh, this episode. Yeah, I you know I would actually classify this episode as like one that doesn't stick in the memory a lot, at least for me. Yeah, yeah, I would agree very much with that. Like, I've watched it one and a half times, and I'm I'm really worried about <laughs> if I'm going to be able to keep up with this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just admitted that we are having trouble. I, I just watched it a second time today, but. Um, coming off of some other episodes, like uh, Too Short a Season was just, just recently, w- which I said, you know, I've seen maybe more often than any other episode in syndication. This one, I feel like, never comes up. Yeah, Th- this is one that gets skipped over very, very often. Um, and, and I think it's also, like, it's a little bit difficult because of the premise of the episode to, like give the elevator pitch for this one. Yeah. You know, because, like, when the bow breaks, it's like, oh, that's the one where they steal the kids. You know, hide in Q. Oh, that's the one where Q gets Riker, or or, or Riker gives Q, you know, or or Q gives Riker. I thought you were going to say gets Riker pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that sounds like a good one, but I I don't think it's hide in Q. I thought you were going to say Riker gives Q a present. (laughs) That's a a season eight script that uh, never quite made it to air. Uh, Exactly. Yeah, the the one where, you know, Riker gets Q powers um, is what I was trying to they say start, uh, the season eight one where they he gets cute powers again and then they start a cold brew coffee shop in portland <laughs> keep portland weird um it's uh it's part of the continuum don't you know <laughs> um but this one I, I mean like to to do the cliff notes version of this one it's it's kind of i mean I, I guess it's the one with the sand the smart sand crystals like i guess is how we I boil mean, that one down i'm kind of shrugging yeah. right yeah, yeah. It's, you're right I actually didn't think this was a bad episode. Uh, it's at least I, not memorably bad, but maybe we'll so. disagree about that. It, maybe that's what the problem, right? There's nothing in here that is super good or super bad. Mm-hmm. It's just all kind of like, mm-hmm. well, I guess that... Maybe the trope itself... Um, this is something I struggled with as I, I watching it. Maybe the trope itself um, we're too far removed from. We're like, this might have been a really cool idea in the 80s. Um, but we've just seen it done so many times since then that we kind of know how this one's going to play out. So the, there isn't the um, suspense or the the, the red herrings because there are some attempts here, but they just don't hit. Well, I, I mean, I would say that I, I I'm not going to completely disagree with you, but I would say the episode um, I was struck by how much of it actually works. Um, I was expecting this to be actually a bad episode, and, and in watching it a couple of times, I've actually grown a little fond of this one, because um, the one thing that I can say about this episode is um, this is the type of episode that is very Star Trek. I mean, mm. if, if you're looking for a Star Trek premise, this is it, because... Yeah, no, it, no, no it, I agree. It's exploring, it's talking about, I mean, literally the crux of the episode and the dramatic tension from the episode comes from 
well, what is life really when you get right down to it? And and what if life doesn't match your preconceived notions of what life is, what do you do in that situation? And I, I thought the stuff between the terraforming team on the planet and the, the crew and, and back and forth in this sort of um, those conference room scenes that they had, I thought some of those tensions worked really well with, with uh, the characters because the crew of the Enterprise is horrified at the idea that, you know, Federation citizens might have tried to just straight up murder, you know, this this sentient sand, basically. Um, but I kind of bought some of the stuff that, that the terraforming crew was saying, too, where it's like, you know, we didn't know. Like, yeah. we just, we kind of wrote it off. Like, I thought that stuff, especially for a show in the late 80s, felt pretty pretty current, actually. Like, um I don't know. Well, yeah. and, and maybe we should get into how it all starts out, right? That yeah. they're, they're going to this planet that, um, they're, that is being terraformed um, to sort of check in. Um, and the first thing that happens is um, the guy is really standoffish and um, seems like he's hiding something and like that he doesn't want them to come to the planet and all of this stuff that is, is the first big red herring here of um, this guy has something big to hide. Yeah, director right. Kurt Mendel is his name. I, I find it funny that they refer to him as Dr. Mendel, but we eventually get his oh, first yeah. name because um, <laughs> the the lead, well, he's the director, but then the, the woman who greets them when they eventually beam down to the planet, she clearly knows him because they're on a first-name basis. Um, and, and this is a weird part. Like, watching it a second time, I feel like the actor who was playing this guy struggled to nail down the accent he was trying to hit. Really? You think so? I I thought um, that was actually like straight up his actual accent. So like I just I'm not sure if he eventually settled into his own and that that is his and he did different at the beginning, but in the beginning he sounds like uh, and rest in peace. Alan um uh why uh, workman uh playing Hans Gruber in Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Sounds so much like that. And then he shifts to more of like to what he eventually I think settles in on the episode, but he, I he feel like he's pushing accent in a lot of different directions. Yeah, he enunciates like an actor from like the '60s Trek. I thought that about all the supporting or guest roles in this, they were like acting from like a another older generation of acting, sometimes a little stiffly. Well, uh, and he he being the prime example of it. Exactly. I mean, there there's that scene. Um, we're kind of jumping around a bit, but that's okay. Um, there's the scene where after after they've beamed down to the planet and when they return to the Enterprise, that first scene that they have in the captain's ready room, like, d- the guy who plays Director Mendel is the king of, like, huffing, turning, walking away, turning back towards whomever <laughs> he was talking to and delivering one, you know, crisp one-liner about mm-hmm. how, you know, incensed he is about the whole thing. Uh, he did that a couple of times throughout the episode where it's just like, I have to just get this one last word in and then turns and leaves. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. got it. Which did feel very, uh, very classic Trek, I think. Yeah. What I liked about the setup of this, them coming down, knowing this guy's being fishy mm-hmm. and that there's something going on. It, it felt like a mystery trope, you know, or it's just like not a, a, a toy box Trek plays in all the time. Like, uh, Troy detects something weird. It's probably a very good showcase for Troy because we actually get to see her powers mm-hmm, mm-hmm, used mm-hmm. in several different ways. Uh, and it also felt reminded me of like, like a Doctor Who episode where he just yeah. comes down and he's in, you know, introduced to a whole cast of scientists or crew members. Mm, it happens yeah, all the yeah, time yeah. on 
and then it has to figure out what's going wrong. They go mm-hmm. back to the ship sooner than, you know, the doctor would. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. in the back of my mind, I know they're contemporary series. I'm not saying one's riffing on the other, but um, it, that was in the back of my head. That is a good point. On the, that, It does have that same feel, and then probably because they share a lot of the same ideas, right? You're, like mm-hmm. you said, they're not really ripping off uh, each other there, but um, yeah, it does feel like a Doctor episode where he goes and meets a team of scientists and something is going wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a note on Troy here um, that yeah, yeah, Troy is used well here, uh, and to a certain degree, uh, she actually feels like the note. The note I wrote is: it feels like Picard um, is playing something like D and D, you know, some sort of tabletop RPG, uh, and has a DM, and he's rolling like wisdom or intelligence, and then he like looks at Troy, and she tells him the things like he would have gotten from a roll, like a wisdom <laughs> intelligence roll. But he he just kind of keeps looking at her like, uh, got an eighteen. What what does that get me? <laughs> like he just rolled high this episode, and so she gave him a ton of good information. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it, it just felt weird, but well executed. There, there were uh, the thing that I really like. I did kind of want to applaud is is specifically the Troy isms where because she's been real hit or miss this whole season, and and yeah. there was immediately her first interaction was helpful but not overly powerful. Right, she couldn't tell exactly what was going on, but she could clearly sense deception, and more keenly than anyone else would. And then the immediate reaction to that was for Picard to say, Counselor, you'd better go along. And having her along continually provided information. She was basically able to feel out the room and be like, you know, this person is as open as they seem. Those two people are worried about something. Like, it it almost felt like, um, you know, like a game of Clue or something where where she's just (laughs) basically continually sussing out motivations of these people that they're just meeting. Um, Well, and this this very very quickly it turns into a sort of murder mystery right yeah that, that's one of the red herrings that's being played out here um is that there are um what four people on the station mm-hmm. um, unless i'm forgetting somebody and um one of them's like hey you gotta go check out this room with the laser in it and then it's like hey the laser's shooting me and then they get him out and he dies they're like well there's only four of you here and we didn't do it so who killed this guy with a laser mm-hmm. um and that starts to point the um, you know, that that blame right at this guy who was very antagonistic and hiding something clearly from the start, right? Which is yeah, an interesting red herring. Yeah. Well, the the only thing that I thought was maybe taking the red herring thing a little bit too far, and I don't know if you guys caught this, but <clears throat> you know, clearly they're trying to lead the audience down that path where it's like, oh, is this a murder mystery? And one of the are one yep. of these people straight yeah. up killers? But the, the one red herring that I thought was maybe just a little bit too heavy-handed and, and didn't make a ton of sense in context other than I guess they were behind schedule was um, when the director uh, when the director comes in and he says to Mallinson, the guy who gets killed shortly thereafter, I mean, he basically just turns to him and is like, don't you have to be in the hydraulic room or the drilling yeah, room right yeah. now? I uh, caught that too, like... Don't you have to be in this place where I'm going to kill you with a laser? Yeah, yeah. I mean, putting all that together with that scene and then, like, very shortly thereafter he's killed, it almost unfairly, like, puts uh, Dr. or Director Mendel, like, under the microscope because you're like, well, why the hell else would that guy send him in the room? That that sentence is just full of puns, but um, the... (laughs) (laughs) And and this was, I think, a place where I'm not going to fault the episode for it, 
um, but it didn't hit with me. And and I think the the problem is that I've seen this trope too many times. So yeah. the second they said, "Oh, we're going to a terraforming planet," it's like, well, probably going to play out one of two ways: uh, life's already there, and they're going to have some problems with that, or something creative that I can't think of. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, oh, well, well, so it's probably that one that life's already there. Yeah. Uh, and not to say this wasn't a, an original premise that they they probably didn't um, that they they probably did some work in refining this idea. I think it just feels old today. Yeah, which isn't the episode. Yeah, that's probably fair. But but I, I will say, and I don't know if you guys are hearing the birds in the background, but uh, you can <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, tell that I can terraform them <laughs> out of existence. <laughs> I uh, I'm pointing my drill, uh, my laser drill, at that tree right now, and you know, <laughs> intelligence of the birds be damned. Um, I I think though, to to be fair, if you kind of <clears throat> if you examine this episode just on its merits as it is. I think it is successful in in a few different things just by by being able to draw you in to to the mystery because it is ultimately a mystery of what the hell is going on here because mm-hmm. um, you know the the enterprise is uh, you know warping into this situation with very little information and what I like about the crew is that in this situation the crew you know sometimes they get too much information too fast. And I feel like the thing that worked in this episode was the pace at which they they doled out information. The audience really did get to kind of come along in the investigation because it really kind of started just as soon as the episode started. And I felt like, um, you know, Data and Jordy and and, um, to a lesser extent, even, you know, uh, Tasha Yar got involved a little bit. Like everybody was was doing a nice job of just really trying to fit together all these pieces. And I, I think they did... The, you know, even though some of the red herrings were maybe a little bit too much, I thought they also did a nice job of like not immediately damning the people uh, who were there on the terraforming station, at least kind of keeping the premise of, okay, well, they're innocent until proven guilty. You know, what exactly is going on here? Uh, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of refreshed by that because some of the lesser TNG episodes, um, especially this season, the ones that we've seen so far, it, it's just they kind of they either jump to conclusions too fast or information is just paced in a really weird way or they don't really earn the information that they get. It just kind of happens serendipitously or worst case, it's a deus ex machina. And in this one, I really do feel like they did a nice job of like doing some science, doing some investigation, going back to the notes, you know, like Mm. um, there's a lot of that in the episode that I thought was was actually very effective. Because even when they get the crystal back on the ship, they discover the crystal, they're doing all these experiments to try and figure out what its deal is and uh, how it Mm -hmm. uh, communicates with power or whatever and Mm -hmm. if it's alive or not. So that mystery continues even though by then I think the audience probably figures out what's going on, that the crystal's responsible. But it's nice to see that sort of deduction going on and actual science among the fiction, even if it's still, you know, fantastical. Right, right. And, and I would say, too, that that's maybe another thing that contributes to it feeling very Star Trek, you know, is that, um, you know, other science fiction series might might just devolve into a, a shootout pretty quick um, with some unknown force. But instead, the 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 mystery, the central mystery about this and even eventually kind of the antagonist. Right. Because these these crystals, when they form the, the micro brain, which I chuckled every time they said micro brain. <laughs> so I'm like, you're a micro brain. Oh, um <laughs> But uh, on memory, also one of the uh, one of the captions on a picture, 
uh, actually makes that joke. Uh, it says uh, <laughs> micro brain macro problems. <laughs> whomp, whomp. Like, oh, great job, Memory Alpha. It's all <laughs> just some other good ones. Laser blasted, quick like an android. Uh, uh, shout out to the fine folks at Memory Alpha. <laughs> come back in three centuries. These are the <laughs> captions that are game over on Valera 3. <laughs> it's um but but I think, you know, again to kind of I guess get back to that point, like all this stuff again feels very Star Trek that they're you know, they're not even really uh I mean when they're threatened, they're immediately not focused in trying to, you know, just destroy this assembly of crystals. They're they're invested in trying to to communicate with it. If it has to deal with the the prime directive, which is the big, you know, probably the I'm thinking it might be the best thing that happened to Trek was coming up with the idea that there should be this rule that they can debate every time there's mm-hmm. a, you know, new life form or or species or whatever. And it it's cool to see it play against this microbial basic intelligence because mm-hmm. uh, I could see how it would relate today with science and construction. And there's a endangered species or whatever that's just some dumb frogs but it's holding back progress so what do we do right and and the thing that's kind of cool about the prime directive and in this episode what's what's kind of neat about it is it's really their morals and they're they're struggling with trying to to hold themselves to these ideals that's the driving force of of this episode um do they actually um reference the prime directive in this episode yes yep they do Mm -hmm. okay i just must i wow i missed that I, wasn't sure. I mean, I, I feel like it's they're even missing it, but it's the idea there. It's just an ethical dilemma that, mm-hmm. that I know how the characters are going to react to, which is good. The characters are developed enough at this point. But, yeah, I, I missed a explicit call out to it. They, it happens. Um, it, the most specific call out to it happens in um, it's the boardroom scene where Picard is sitting down in the observation lounge with director Mendel. And he's really like kind of pressing him a little bit about like, you know, hey, how much did you really know? Um, and Picard mentions that his suspicions of Mendel knowing that there was life down there, and he calls out by name, he said, and that would be a direct violation of the Prime Directive. Ah, okay. Um, and then, you know, that's where Mendel gets one of his zingers where he says, I create life. I don't take it. You know, the, t- the tail part of this episode, if there's anything in this episode that didn't work for me, and I, I get what they were going for, but it's like... The voice that they chose <laughs> for yeah. the microbrain just it took the cheese factor and really ratcheted it up a bunch. And I was like, oh boy, because it, it, well, tur- it turned it into an episode that was kind of a little embarrassing. <laughs> the Universal Translator is coming online, sir. Ugly. Ugly. Giant. Bags of mostly water. Bags of mostly water? An accurate description of humans, sir. You are over 90% water surrounded by a flexible container. I, I, I almost would have preferred Data to be like, yeah, they got you there, water bag. You know? <laughs> water bag. <laughs> but, but yeah, without missing a beat, Data is just all over that one, which uh, yeah, was, was kind of funny. But um, this is another one of those episodes which I think um, it starts with a good idea and it runs into some problems, you know, by the end. But I still think, and this is just me, I still think, by and large, I came away from this episode being like, you know, I, I think I liked that. Like, that was that was okay. That was kind of nice. Um, I found it inoffensive. 
inoffensive yeah, yeah. I is mean, probably the best way to describe that episode. Yep. I had a few parts that I found offensive um, that maybe I saved for my worst or maybe I just talk about them here, but there were parts that I thought were offensive. Well, why don't, why don't we get into that then? And then we can have a little bit more spirited discussion at the end okay. about whether or not we recommend it. Um, so how about that? Wait, get into, get into my worst or just get into those topics. Um, well, so, so let's, yeah, let's start there since Paul, you've yeah. got some, you've got some good red meat there that you want to dive into. Um, you know, what are you, what was your worst or worsts that, uh, what was really grinding your gears about this Boy, episode. Well, yeah, I mean, I have a few, maybe. Well, yeah, I'll just put them all on the table as worse. You can, you can pick which one you like. Put them all out there. Um, the, uh, realistically, the interactions with computer, um, uh-huh. the, the enterprise computer, uh, in, in a few situations, and, and also <laughs> yeah. Data's interactions with everyone, or lack of interactions, and Data's interactions with the computer. Um, so there's this weird loop here of um, maybe starting with data. There were situations where they're standing there talking about life and like life existing in different forms and, and what it takes to be alive. And data is just kind of standing there, staring off into space like, huh, this doesn't impact me at all. Uh, like, yeah. not, not having any, all of this stuff just going right over him, mm-hmm. right over. Because it's like, well, this isn't an episode where we talk about that. Um, and it's almost to the degree that I feel like it, it would have been better if they pulled the Troy here and Data was just like absent for some reason. Mm. Um, be, because having him there for some of those discussions um, draws attention away from some of that and, and makes you wonder why they're not having the same discussions about Data. It's um, interesting because they do establish him again as an android when he goes down to that planet because the the mullet man is like, you're an artificial life form? Tell me, are there more like you? Where are you from? Mm-hmm. And he has yeah. a, one line about both of those answers would be long encompassing you know, or some, you know, something well written. Uh, but th- they make a point to bring that to our attention again. So mm-hmm. it is weird that it's totally dropped. Well, and what's funny is they, in that exact same scene where he's like, oh, remarkable, an android, they just immediately move on after <laughs> after Data's, like, yep. come back to it, um, which is so, probably filed under missed opportunities, right? Because that's... Yeah, then that one's more of a, 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 a error of omission than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I see why. I get why. It's just something that, if he wasn't there, it would have been easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also some weird interactions with the computer where, um, and maybe this is coming from background of computer-human interaction and computer trust and things like that, but Beverly um, asked the computer something, and I'm, I'm actually even going to forget what it was, um, and the computer's like, nope, definitely not. I think she asked if there's any organic compounds, maybe. That might be it. I'll just say it is. Um, and the computer's like, nope, definitely not. And Data's like, mm, why don't you try again, computer? Why don't you just do that again? And the computer's like, sure, buddy. I'll run the same thing again. Yep, still nothing organic. Like, what, what's the point? <laughs> Does Data not trust the computer? Yeah. Because like, he, all, he, all he says is like, hmm, could you just tell me that again? Just run it one more time. Mm-hmm. And if, if Data doesn't trust the computer, that's a problem. Well, <laughs> they're kind of, I mean, I think... You know, they're trying to drive home the point, I think, that the computer is interactive just like another member of the crew. 
because um, that's a that's a old writing, you know, kind of cliche, really, where you know somebody looks at some results and says, you know, blah, 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 it says this, and somebody's like, that can't be right. Check it again. You know, I think that's basically what they were riffing on. But you're yeah, right; it is a little weird to to say that to a computer. <laughs> yeah, but it's basically just a voice on some sensors, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like so, and and I could see that probably coming from other people. If Riker said it, I probably would have had less less of a gripe with it. Sure. The the trick is that Data said it, um, and it would be the same as if Data said like if if somebody asked Data like, "Oh, what are the odds of this happening?" and Data said like one in and then gave a number out to like 20 decimals. And they said, hmm, could you check that again? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, true. So um, that's a weird interaction with data. Uh, the third thing, and, and probably the worst thing for me in the episode is, um, and you could queue up um, the first time, well, the, the computer they ask, um, like, it's, it's giving off light, this, this crystalline thing. I almost said crystalline entity. Um, from a different episode. Although you've just brought up a fantastic point, what if this thing is a precursor to the crystalline entity? I wah, like it. Wah, wah. And also, they've they have encountered some things that were very, very possibly non-organic life forms, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the crystalline entity. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so the they say like, oh, it's giving off light. Like, how is that doing it? And they go through all this stuff with the computer, and the computer is giving super dodgy, cagey answers. Mm, yeah. And they're like, well, how is it giving off light? And the computer is like, I don't know. I have no idea. And that's kind of weird. Yeah. And then they do this thing, they this trope they use very frequently of, well, why don't you just like throw away all your programming and get theoretical about it? And tell me something that I don't know. <laughs> Disregard incongruity and theorize as to source life. I, I remember that moment. <laughs> I remember that I'm one like, sticking out. Yeah. You could queue up, you could queue up the phaser sounds or proton computers or whatever you want to give, but that is some bull <laughs> <laughs> And it's like... Uh, I wanted to just shut down the episode. Like, look, so this computer can't describe bioluminescence. <laughs> like, it can't. Like, if there was a firefly sitting there, it'd be like, "Hey, computer, how does this firefly like produce light?" Like, I have no idea. <laughs> well, but, but isn't I don't know. To be I fair, don't... though, you're talking about bioluminescence, and this object is not biological at all. No carbon, right? Uh, you asked uh, it twice to find carbon. Atoms. It's <laughs> atoms. It's. You heard it, it here first, folks. Paul is a better computer than the computer. Oh, but at the same time, if there was something sitting there, right? If you took two chemicals, neither of which had carbon in them, yeah. and you put them in a beaker, and that luminesced, and then you ask the computer, "Hey, computer, how did that do that?" The computer would hopefully describe the chemical reaction that produced that. <laughs> and unless you're saying that this thing is doing something magical, which is what the computer is saying. <laughs> then should be able to describe some sort of chemical luminescence. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just, it's ridiculous. You know what's comforting, though, is that anytime I feel like I'm getting nitpicky with episodes, <laughs> I just I just start talking to Paul, and then I'm like, I guess I'm not that nitpicky. I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I get it, but at the same time, it's, um, you know, yeah, the, 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 the suspension of The other thing didn't bug me at all, and then I'm like, oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> the romantic computer is a little silly, but yes. uh, yeah, they they do. It's kind of it's a little goofy, like the computer just in general in this episode. I think that's that's um, kind of what you were getting at in some of the other uh, examples you brought up. I'll, I'll throw in one more. I kind of liked it. Uh, it kind of gave me a chuckle. But it was the one where, like, Worf is sitting at one of the science stations, and I don't even remember what he says, but the computer responds to him, even though he wasn't actually directly addressing, addressing the computer. And he, like, gets peeved about it. But is it alive? Probability positive. I wasn't asking you. Yeah, yeah. I like that scene. So, no, I mean, it's not all bad there with the computer, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I so Paul had a bunch of worsts there. Yeah. <laughs> so those yeah, were... and, and and no and the line the line from the computer life that's life my, <laughs> that's my worst. So <laughs> okay. Jacob, do you have a worst? <laughs> you know, not as good not as good as those. Uh, I already mentioned the big performances, uh, and that's not even really that bad of a thing. It's just sort of a cheesy factor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, one little note I had, and this is not a real criticism of the episode, but it. Terraforming is a part of the Trek universe. There were multiple films, or at least two films, centered on it. Yep. So I think if it was done today, there would at least be a little Easter egg. You no, know, back in the Genesis, pro- we've come a long way mm-hmm. since the Genesis project, or something like that. Yeah. But um, it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't seem to use the same process. It seems like they just abandoned that approach of the missile and everything. Now they're mining. Well, the thing that's weird though is. Um they would have had plenty of opportunity. Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan came out in 1982. This episode aired in 88. Um, mm-hmm. So this would have been six years after um, Wrath of so Khan. So fresh in people's minds. Yeah. 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 And, and they, they're drawing a lot, of, a lot of the same ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is probably another missed opportunity that they don't just say the name, right? Just, just Dr. Marcus right. once, right? Right. right. We could have handled this whole project with a Genesis torpedo, but that was outlawed by the blah 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 accords or whatever. You know, I mean, <laughs> something like that would have would have been the, the Marcus directive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something <laughs> to to explain away why we're not so going to us- do that. Yeah, I'm usually not well, a it fan of. It doesn't work, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, but they could have fixed it. Uh, so you know, I'm I'm not a big proponent of fan service, but at that point, I was like, yeah, it should have addressed it a little bit. It, it would have been nice. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, okay, so my worst. Um, this feels a little cheap and unfair, but it's still, I, I, it's the one point of the episode where I actually said out loud, oh, for crying out loud. Um, <laughs> it was, it's when they're having the conversation with the micro brain, and Deanna just pipes in uh, in reaction to something that it says when it's accusing the big ugly bags of mostly water of being <laughs> terrible war criminals or something. And Deanna just chimes in with, you are beautiful to us. Oh, no, she says all life is beautiful. Well, she follows up, you are uh, beautiful to us with comma, all life is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, man, no, no. It's, it's... Um, it just feels like there, somebody went like, oh yeah, Troy's touchy feely, right? Let's have her say something that's like, kumbaya, boom, you know, throw that in there. It's, it's like, it's such a, it's such a, I don't know, almost hippy dippy thing to say for a person who's, who's (laughs) serving aboard a a starship in the 24th century. It just seems like. I was, I I was wondering if it was a dig on the life form. Because the life court form kept calling them ugly bags of water, and if, if she was like, "Hey, stop calling us ugly. All life is beautiful." Like, <laughs> I was wondering if it was if it was more of that 
um, trying to get it to stop calling them ugly more than calling it beautiful. I didn't, uh, but... It didn't occur to me, maybe. <laughs> you know what? We're pretty. Hey, you're pretty. Everybody's pretty. Stop it. Stop saying that. Um, but it uh, does. Later, it stops calling them ugly. So it might have worked. Yeah. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Score one for Deanna Troy. That's now my best. Thanks, Paul. Um, <laughs> speaking of that, so let's uh, let's let's talk about uh, the the highlights of the episode. Mm. Um, Jacob, how about you go first? Well, in general, and on the macro sense, I I did like it in mystery mode. It's mm-hmm. just not something you see a lot in Trek. Or maybe you do, but I, I like it. You, you guys would know more than me. I, I haven't watched Trek in bulk since you guys started this podcast. I, I'm starting to get into it again. But uh, it's just something them there as a problem. They don't really know what it is and, and trying to suss it out. That's something I, I haven't seen a lot of. Um, also, I took note of this. There were just some interesting shots. And it's not known as a visually dynamic show other than, you know, special effects wise. But in the very opening, when Picard uh, sends the away team or like tells them to go to the pl- uh, the planet, they run in front of the camera, and Picard gets this really heroic stance going, and it's really dynamic. Uh, it's kind of super heroic almost, and I was hmm. like, all right, this is the kind of tr- they're going to go solve that mystery. It, uh, I would I would implore you to go check that uh, pre credits uh, shot one last time. And there's also one where it's like a point of view of the wall when. Um, the guy's getting murdered by the laser. Um, it's uh, I think it's Jordy and Data maybe banging on the door, and the camera is at where the door would be. So uh, there's no door, but there's just sort of there leaning, and it's it's this weird low angle close up. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a creative shot for Trek. Nice. Yeah. And uh, there's one more, but I want to see if one of you guys list it. I don't want to steal it, so I'll I'll hold back. Nice. Okay. All right. Got it. Uh, so then, Paul, let's see if you uh, you listed that as as your favorite. What what was your favorite about this? Episode? I, I did not, and I took up a lot of time on uh, my worst. So, and my my best is actually pretty straightforward. It's just bags of mostly water. Hmm. <laughs> just, <laughs> just such a great. It actually reminds me of um, um, the random one row book. Um, what is it? Thing explainer? No. Uh, but the the idea of you know can you explain complex things with I feel like it's sitting right behind me on the shelf um, with really simple words and that's a great way to describe a human being right <laughs> like bags of mostly water bags of mostly water yep nice I have to find the title yeah thing explainer random one row thing explainer nice. good book nice plug plug um. I mean, I'll plug up a call day. It's a great book. <laughs> I I just I would like to point out the um I I really liked the the design aside from the voice that they spoke with. I I liked the design of the alien species in in this episode. Um, I I just the the ways the subtle ways with which they were able to not really use a ton of effects, but really sell you on how this you know how this collection of non-biological um, entities would actually form like a race in a society. And, and I don't know if you guys remember when they were when they first beamed down to the terraforming planet and they're looking at that display and they're showing like, you know, the water that they're getting at. And they show how it like, um, it, you know, it's at a specific level below the sand and it literally follows the curvature of the planet. And then later in the episode, they talk about how like, hey, if they were, you know, 
a few hundred centimeters lower, they'd all die off. If they were a few hundred centimeters higher, they'd, you know, kind of selling the idea that, that that's by design, that these species, uh, this species of, of crystal have like burrowed themselves down to a specific layer. And then they've made a, like literally a neural network out of water. And that's what interconnects them and makes them one like giant planetary brain almost. Um, I thought that was a really cool idea, um, and I thought it was a, a really neat design for for an alien species. Unfortunately, all the only shot we get to see of them is well, that's not true. The the most we get to see of them is in that petri dish in the lab, but you kind of get a hint of how cool they probably look in general. If you guys remember when they're down in the drilling room and they kind of look into where the thing was drilling and they mm-hmm. see that huge field that's like a shimmer, you know, and they're like, "What is that?" Like. I thought that was cool. The The only regret I have about that is I wish they'd have shown more of that. But I mm. really liked the design of, of just this, this alien species, this alien society, because it's just totally different. Because a lot of times Star Trek, you know, gets accused of putting a weird forehead and weird, you know, noses and, and strange ears on people and just being like, yep, it's an alien. Um, I felt like this was a really alien, alien species. And it was oh, it was cool. Yeah. And they um they really did it. Um. I don't want to say cheaply, but um, on a on a budget. Yeah. Um, and when it's in the the like bell jar in the lab, um, if you look closely, and again we're watching this on giant TVs in resolutions that were <laughs> were un- undreamable in 1987. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can actually see the the leads coming off the LEDs, basically that they're they have in this jar um, that they're just lighting up, and it's just a few LEDs there that they're just. <laughs> pulsing mm-hmm. it's like it's just brilliant mm-hmm. um and i i mean I, I had to really squint and, and look to see the the wires coming off them um so back in the 80s like yeah it would have just looked like some lights in a jar and that's really all mm-hmm. it is but it's just a brilliant use of something so simplistic um to to sell yourself an alien race without having to do costuming yeah so yeah, yeah. it's clever yeah it's clever so, did we get to it, Jacob, or was there? No, uh, and I, 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 we, I would be remiss if we made it through the episode without mentioning that Data fights a laser. Uh, <laughs> he gets locked into the laser room, and we, we, we miss it. Most of, I think, we see a shot of him maybe dodging a laser. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then he, the, ducks and ducks and weaves, yeah. Oh yeah, but Ducks. then the door closes, and then he dismantles it mm-hmm. off camera. And then mullet guy comes in and you're like, this was a year's worth of work. <laughs> yeah, oh, so... man. <laughs> like, he, literally his shoulders drop. And he's like, oh, man. <laughs> but, I mean, it's kind of a badass data moment because we know he fought the laser and uh, yeah. ripped it apart. And then that little button with the, with the poor, sad scientist who built the laser. Yeah, uh, I want to change that. That is officially my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's so. Uh, it's like Charlie Brown just after the football gets pulled again. You know, he just he's so dejected. Oh man. Um, do we add this to the list of episodes that you're getting somebody you know hooked and and you say nope you, you should you should really watch this one. Is this does this one pass that muster? <sighs> Again, I think it's a, a decent episode, and I don't think it's that bad, but it's far from essential. So if you're trying to get through season one as fast as possible to get to the really good stuff, I don't know if it would make that cut. Mm-hmm. But if you're just trying to skip the really bad ones and watch most of them, I would say this one is worth a watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul, what say you? <laughs> yeah, so this is this is interesting because 
Um, I think we all started really sort of lukewarm on this. Um, and, and then there is a consensus that this is not a, a stellar episode, but it's not a bad episode. Um, and at the beginning, I kind of laid out that the part of my problem is that um, I'm not surprised by it. Um, mm-hmm. But but a large part of that is really that um, this is this is close enough to the genesis of this trope, uh, pun intended, um, that... that that this is um this is the genesis device this is uh an episode that is is again like we've seen in a few episodes sort of the the early part of this um that plays out in so many other things and it shows up in um other ways other places you kind of want to watch this episode first is maybe the the punchline of that um Mm -hmm. and get what you can from this um more or less simplistic take on it. Um, okay. I, I don't know that it's. I, I feel bad calling it simplistic, but um, it's basic. <laughs> uh, but it's fun. It's a. It's a. It's a decent episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially if you haven't seen much Star Trek, I think it would then be even more powerful because maybe it, um, I know you wouldn't be so cynical and jaded about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, I will say. So you're basically saying thumbs up. Uh, watch it, but. You know, it, it's not the best, but it's it's a good introduction to this trope. Realistically, basically. probably the less science fiction you have watched, the more you're going to like this episode. So nice. Okay, yeah, I can see that actually. So for newbies, maybe more powerful and more effective. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. So so I would say I'll go ahead and give it a recommend because it's um, it, it passes our criteria where. You know, no characters are behaving so strangely that it's detrimental to who they are as a character. Um, In fact, there are some kind of nice character moments. I mean, Riker's still weird, but Riker doesn't get cool (laughs) until he gets a beard. So you just kind of have to... You kind of have to just bear with that one. Yep. It's coming. Season two is around the corner. He gets a beard and magically transforms into a decent human being. I don't know how that works, but it does. <laughs> you just got to wait. Um, I don't think we have much else. I think that's pretty much going to do it for uh, for home soil. Um, Jacob, I'd like to say once again, thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah. but My, my pleasure. And real quick, if you want to plug anything. Uh, oh, of course. Uh, uh, my <laughs> podcast, Filmcast Without a Cause, is a bi-weekly film podcast I co-host with Pat Boberg, who I guested on an episode of yours recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to do Captain... Well, by the time this drops, uh, we'll probably have <laughs> talked about Captain America, Civil War, and all sorts of big summer blockbusters. So I, I hope uh, people come join us. Summer I, might be over by then. <laughs> That's fine. They can check them out Captain on Blu-ray. Ma- Captain America 8. Um, <laughs> World no, I, I would say uh, if you hear this uh, afterwards, even if it's been a few weeks, because uh, it'll probably be about five weeks from when we record this, from when this actually hits the internet, I would say go back and check that out because I'm, I'm really looking forward to you guys talking about uh, uh, Civil War. Um, just Hoping to see it. And we're also doing the Summer of Herzog, which may kill me. It's all, we're going to watch a bunch of <laughs> Werner Herzog films and uh, try to uh, ruin our summer <laughs> by... <laughs> the, well, I... I, 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 I mean, you could but... certainly, you could order them in the right way to get... <laughs> You, you probably do have to order them to make sure you don't ruin your summer. No, I, I think... Go on a nice I arc. <laughs> I think it's going to make for a fun summer. It, going through the treacherous, chaotic uh, nature of uh, the world. But uh, nice. I, I'll hopefully be more articulate about Herzog when we actually record about <laughs> Aguirre uh, 
paired with Captain America. So, all right. Thanks for letting me plug it, and thanks for letting me be on your podcast. Absolutely. Until next time, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And uh, keep yourself beautiful, ugly bags of mostly water. (laughs) Uh, Just a flexible shell. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to create a place where living things could thrive. And all the while, I was about to destroy the life that is there. Our apologies. And respects. Lieutenant Yar? Coordinate said, sir. Energize.